0: Content warning, this episode contains sensitive content surrounding racial violence that may be triggering and not suitable for some listeners.
1: What's up? You are now listening to Americanized, a storytelling podcast where you'll hear from eclectic first and second generation Americans, share their stories and real life experiences as children of immigrants. Hey there, this is your host, Rosalind. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Americanized. In part one of this two-part episode, you'll hear from our special guest, Phil Holland. Phil Holland is a first-generation American from Ivory Coast, and he's a father to his beautiful daughter. Phil Holland reached out to me to share his story on surviving police brutality while delivering pizza on the job in 2014. Now just think about that. Delivering pizza, you are on the job and you become involved in this violent police act. This reminds me of the notion that black people cannot drive, cannot run, cannot work, cannot exist while being black without facing some sort of discrimination or racism. So when Phil shared some details of his story in his initial message to me, I was heartbroken. I was in shock. I had no words. I just had a lot of feelings, but no words. I was just really in shock. And I wanted his story to be heard on this platform. I wanted you to hear his story. So Phil Holland survived police brutality. There's a reason why he he recently started sharing his story in hopes of bringing awareness and inspiring others on this issue so please stay tuned and listen to his story you start by telling everybody a little bit about yourself where you're from what you do
0: yeah i am 27 years old right now but i was born in ivory coast in africa and a lot of people don't know that about me you know they can't tell people listening probably couldn't tell until i said it but i am african i've oriented to be specific um and i moved here the reason i don't sound it that sounded because i was moved here when i was three um so i've been here for 24 years now so i'm pretty much americanized but i'm still very in touch with my roots and all that i speak french read write and speak french and i have a daughter she's she turned three on the 17th so about like a couple weeks ago um, And that's more or less where my life is at. Like I just started school two weeks ago and I just started working again, not for the first time, but you know, like working, I was working last year bartending uh, before the pandemic hit. So uh, now I'm just kind of not getting back on my feet, but just getting back to normalcy in terms of, you know, just being busy and, and, and doing different things and not being in the house all the time. So.
1: Right, that's important. Well, happy birthday to your daughter. Thank you. That's exciting. And, like, what part of Ivory Coast were you born in?
0: Um, it's called Abidjan.
1: Oh, the capital.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: like, one of the capitals, there's like two.
0: <laughs> I don't really know, to be honest.
1: That's so funny. I don't meet many Ivorians, so when I do, it's like this cool thing. Cause I, like, yeah. all my family is back there.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah.
1: My older sister, she came over with my parents when she was like one and a half. So she, she's been in america for a while then she moved back like five years ago yeah so i was born in america all my siblings were all americanized too yeah so what was your upbringing like with coming from Ivory coast at such a young age
0: i feel like i had a pretty normal upbringing like i said i got here when i was three so i didn't really have much adjusting to do because i was a baby my mom was the one that really had to adjust you know, being having been in Africa for twenty years, so uh, or twenty-two years. So me, I was, you know, I, I grew up normally. Didn't have any bad experiences. I liked school. Didn't have bullies like a lot of people do. Um, I was, you know, not popular in like the in the jock sense or whatever. But like, I knew a lot of people in high school. Um, still talk to a lot of them to this day. And uh, I mean, I don't really have any complaints about my childhood, really. It was pretty normal and good
1: Mm -hmm. did you remember having any like conversations about race growing up
0: no i didn't have any of those conversations not because obviously didn't exist or that police brutality wasn't an issue because obviously it's been one for much longer than a lot of people realize but for me specifically i didn't have i did not have any conversations like that Uh, My mom, you know, like I said, she was from Africa, so she probably wasn't as aware as we all are now, like a lot of us weren't back then. But I what I learned, how how I learned about these things before it became mainstream as far as police brutality was just from watching the news. You know, you would see not just people getting shot by cops, but you would see and living in Philly, you know, not to say Philly is the worst place ever, but, you know, it's kind of common there. Uh, I saw not saw, but, you know would see in the news people getting shot for one reason or another, getting killed. And that's just everywhere, you know, so um, me, I was not paranoid, but I was always, you know, careful to like, I never really got into fights. I only got into one fight. And that was like, I think fifth grade or something. But I never got into any fights. Um, I was pretty late and I, I'm kind of too late back to fight like I don't really, I'm a laid back person. So it wasn't an effort that I had to make to get along with people and not get into trouble. I never really got into trouble so um so and even the police experiences that I had before you know this one uh, I think it was like twice either of them were negative and the police were nice to me and they were you know normal so you know that's what I would say
1: I feel like the conversation and perspective on cops has shifted Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons and especially during the pandemic, when everyone was quarantined, we just saw that on the news all the time, all the police violence. So I feel like a lot of, especially people of color, our perspective and, you know, the conversations we have on police and those injustices are like, like we're more conditioned to have negative feelings toward them.
0: And it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's not for no reason. I mean, right. obviously, gone. and, um, uh, it, I, I just started, like I said, I started school two weeks ago and I'm learning more about US history more than I was, more than I learned before. And I mean, I can see, I knew it already, but I can see now that, you know, police brutality is just part of a much bigger issue.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a race war and then it's also a war of um, power because they're, not all cops are white.
0: But yeah, like, like to your point, sometimes it's the suit, it's the power that it gives them. They feel like they can do whatever they want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and obviously, we've seen that they can. And as far as your point about it being a power struggle, you know, not to say all Republicans are against it or are for it, but there's a reason why Republicans, which are mostly made up of white older men that are more into the status quo of, of systemic racism and all that. There's a reason why they literally sit there and vote for police to be able to do their jobs without any legal repercussions or without any, like they they don't want the government in the way, basically, especially libertarians. They don't, they want police and other people, but also police to be able to, I don't want to say run wild, but to be able to do what they've been doing and they feel like it's okay. And the reason why some of them feel like it's okay, because it's disproportionately against Black people. Or people of my skin color so um there's a reason for that and like i said i don't have time to get into all that because it's a long history of it but you know it goes back and it's way deeper than a lot of people think or realize
1: absolutely yeah i was recently pulled over a few weeks ago for driving slow i wasn't even speeding i was like i was driving slow and I was like still conditioned like something bad is going to happen when i get pulled over just because of what i see on the news right it's like that conditioning it's really it does something to your mind and your mentality
0: especially because when you see these people they're all normal people like me and you and me before that happened and now i was a normal person and i didn't have a record don't have anything in the streets you know didn't do anything to deserve that not that anybody deserves let me take that back didn't do anything to i guess bring it upon myself or to attract attention to myself for that to happen. And it still happened. So that tells you that it can really just happen to anybody and white people too. I'm not going to act like it's never happened to a white person, but from what I've seen, I, I've seen several Instagram and Facebook videos of white people, not only not doing anything, but some of them are like they're, they're, or I've seen white people sit there and like, you know, they have machetes and they're swinging them at the cops and there's no, like the cops are able to take them down without shooting them one guy was like literally putting his hands on an officer and he was tased and detained and i don't see i've never seen a video of a black person so much as like almost swinging on a cop and being taken down fairly as they should and people want to deny that there's a difference in the majority of how black people are treated by cops and that's another thing that i'm irritated about that people deny it or if they don't they'll say that oh well he must have done something to bring that upon himself for example George Floyd you know they say he was something like or well he had fentanyl in the system or whatever like that's an excuse to be killed the way he was or randomly they'll bring up how he did porn in the past i don't know if that's true or not but i heard, i saw that a lot and i'm just like how is that relevant to what happened and so and why it happened like i believe he was just i don't know i forget what he was doing but even if i he was hurting somebody everybody has their you know their due date in court, right. And so I'm I was raised to believe that there is judges in the Supreme Court and courts for that. You know, police aren't the ones that sit there and decide on the spot, whether somebody should die, or there's somebody should, you know, be beaten up if that or be shot in the back six times like Jacob Blake was, I think it was seven. Police aren't executioner, or and jury and all that stuff. And yet they have been, and it seems like there's a lot of people that support that or have no see no problem with that, and that's a problem in and of itself. Beyond you know, well, below even a bigger problem than that.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that you said that because I never never thought about about it that way. That they feel they have the power to execute someone over nothing, mm-hmm. and that's allowed.
0: And and the thing is, they do because they do it. And then they get paid leave, don't even get arrested. If they do, they're let out the next day or the next week or whatever. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Fortunately, they do have that power. It wasn't given to them, but it's allowed. And so therefore, they have it. And um, I don't know what the answer to that is, how to fix it. I do, but it's just like, you know, ideas that anybody could have. But, you know, I don't have the answers. I just have my story. And like, you know, I share it because... For one, among other reasons, it's an example of how you don't really have to be a criminal to be. Racially profiled or attacked by cops. You don't have to have been doing anything or to be a bad person, even. To be, you know. To be in a situation that we've seen so many times. Not to say that because I wasn't like that, that I survived, who knows why I did. But for other people. For example, Flano Castillo, that's one person he was in the passenger seat and his daughter was in the back seat. I don't know if you remember this one. This is one that sticks to my mind a lot is uh, I think it was his girlfriend recorded it. And he told the cop he had a gun in the in the. What do you call it? <laughs> the um, I don't know why it's escaping me, but he had a gun in the in his car and uh, the cop told him to take it to get it out. But then he still got shot anyway even after he was telling the person that I'm about to take it out, I'm going to show you and I'm registered and all that stuff. You can see the cop sitting there shaking, scared for no reason. And he gets shot in front of his daughter and girlfriend. Regardless of whether he has something on the record or not, he didn't deserve that. And I'm sure he was a good person. If he wasn't, whatever, he didn't deserve that. So that's one example. I have plenty more, but I'm not going to, you know, go into all of them. But like I said, you don't have to, For people that are listening that think that, you know, everybody that this this has happened to, you don't have to be a bad person or even doing anything to bring this on yourself or to or for it to happen to you, I should say. Mm
1: -hmm. It's just like pure heartlessness. And to them, like, we don't have to be a bad person, but because we are Black, everything else is assigned to us. Like, crime is assigned, assigned to the color Black. So, like you're saying, we don't have to... Be a bad person or do bad things or have a record the only thing we do have to be is black mm-hmm. i'm gonna let you tell your story again i i don't know how triggering it is for you i know you've shared it a number of times
0: it's not triggering at all like i like you said i've shared it plenty of times by now even before i started talking to people about it on podcasts and all that mm-hmm. um about it just i to do it publicly because I did want to, but you know there were reasons I wanted to be private. I didn't want to be out there. I I didn't want to get anything out of it. Um, And I still don't. It's just, you know, after the pandemic happened and I saw George Floyd happen and the protests and the riots and all that. And then I saw Jacob Blake and then Walter Wallace in October. George Floyd was the one that, you know, and I was in the house all day like everybody was. Do the pandemic, and I just started thinking like, I just need to start sharing this story because everybody always tells me this is a story that needs to be heard and um it's, it's not really it, it's not really about letting people know what happened. It's more so about you know the impact that it may have, whether it's somebody that looks like me, whether that whether it's um, somebody that is white and believes the wrong things, like how cops cannot make mistakes or you know they can do no wrong. Um, it's, you know, for anybody who will be impacted by it or who will learn from it.
1: Right. When you say that, I think of the, like, the hashtag silence is violence. So you're putting an end to that.
0: That's kind of also, like, to, for me to be silent and have this story while I'm watching it. And that's kind of why I'm ashamed that I just started sharing it last year. Actually, six months ago, not even really. Last year, technically, but six months ago. Um... I just started sharing it. I've been watching it happen for the past six years. Eric Garner was the first of the long line of it being publicly videoed or it being in the news. Besides Trayvon Martin, but that wasn't really a police thing. That was more so, you know, vigilant or whatever he was, um, neighborhood watch or whatever. But as far as police related killings, Eric Garner was kind of the first that was very public and he died. And that was in June 2014 or July 2014. And mine was in April. So when mine happened, we didn't really see it that way because me and my mom didn't really know or were aware that police were doing this like that. And so when it happened, um, you know, I didn't know that that's what it was until I started seeing it. And then the years went by, went by, and um, I kept seeing it. And I, that's, I by the time I saw Michael Brown, I realized what it was. Uh, and I was obsessed with this case specifically, but. I kept watching it happen, and, you know, I, I, I was never triggered. I never was more triggered than anybody else, but I was still thinking, like, this happened to me, and I survived. Why are all these people dying? And I guess it's not that George Floyd was the tipping point. It was also the fact that I had time to think about whether I should share this story or not, and I didn't take time to think about it, take long to think about it. It was just kind of like it's long overdue for me to start talking about this publicly and have people learn from it. Or, you know, take what they will from it. Hopefully positive, but be it positive or negative,
1: whatever. Mm -hmm. It is really brave of you to do that, to, like, step out and be open about it. Because, like you said, there's a reason why you you survived this. And this is part of, like, what you're doing with that.
0: Yeah. I don't know what that is yet, but I feel like I don't think I survived that just to not talk about it ever again (laughs) or to never tell it. Especially considering, like I said, it happened before me, but to keep seeing it happening, like, there's no way that I survived to just sit there and like live life normally and not talk about it. And that's I want, but you know, at the same time, you know, that's not exactly the card that was dealt in, like a normal life, so to speak. So
1: hmm.
0: at least in terms of that, that was normal. So, uh, But I don't wanna keep rambling. I'll, I'll get into the story if you're ready.
1: Yeah. We'll just tell you to take your time, take a deep breath and the floor is yours.
0: So, okay. So this happened April 22nd, 2014. Um, I was delivering pizza at the time. Well, that day specifically was a normal day. I was working two jobs and delivering, delivering pizza was one of them. And I was taking one class or two classes. One was online, but I was taking the public speaking class and I would go to work in the morning. Worked in the airport at a bakery. I go to class afterwards and then I go to my second job, the pizza job at five o'clock. And I was five to 11. And so I was, it was the last order of the day. And it actually wasn't even my turn to go because we would rotate because we had like three, two to three drivers each day, depending on how busy it was. And so that day we had three drivers. It wasn't my turn to go, but the person who turned it was said that I could go because he didn't really. Care to? Because it was the day was open silver. It was about ten thirty, so I went out, got there about ten forty-five, and I delivered a cheeseburger to an older lady. And I was walking off her porch, and that's when this whole thing kind of started. I'm walking off her porch, and I see a car swerving at the top of the block, and they're like doing donuts, kind of like you know Fast and Furious. Like you can see all the smoke, and you can hear it, like they're swerving, like just going in circles. No idea what that was about or why they were doing that. But when I saw that, you know, me being a delivery driver in Philadelphia, like anything can happen. Like I'm trying to be careful. That's why I was parked normally. I wasn't double parked. Like my lights weren't on. I parked normally because I don't want to be I don't want to, you know, bring attention to myself in any way because it's nighttime. And I have about four hundred dollars in my pocket. So I'm just like, all right, let me get out of here before I get approached negatively in some way by who knows who or yeah, God knows who. So I got in my car, I'm seeing this the top of black, block and I'm like, all right, let me get in my car and get out of here. And so I get in my car um, and when I, you know how you open the car door and you see the lights the lights come on, even after you close the door, it's not until you turn the car on that the lights go off. So I turn the car on and the lights were on. And while the lights are on, I see one person in on the sidewalk, you know, approach me. And all, I don't see what he's wearing exactly, but I see he's wearing, all. all I see is all black. And so he shines a flashlight in my face and I kind of block it with my right hand. And when I block, because I'm blocking the light with my right hand, I kind of see the person on the left and the person in the street to my left, he, you know, I can see him pull his gun out, pull a gun out and I can make the gun out clearly. And so, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with fight or flight, but you know, when you, when you're in danger it could be animals humans all that stuff we all have that <clears throat> when you're in danger it's either you fight the danger or you get the hell out of there so me being me being a human being i can't fight a gun or a bullet so i put the car in reverse and it sound it might sound like what i just said and what i'm about to say it might sound like it happened within like five minutes but it was really about 10 seconds not even that it was like all really short like happened in a flash but I see these two people approaching me, and I feel like I'm about to get robbed, which is why obviously I reacted like that. Like I put the car in reverse. I didn't hit the car in front of or behind me. I don't know how, but that's not important. But put the car in reverse and got out of there to try to get out the spot before I'm shot. And bef- like while I'm moving forward, I start seeing like the guns go off, like the muzzle flash go off, and then and I can hear the gun the gunfire obviously. So I duck so I to not get hit in the head obviously and get killed and when I duck I put my head down to duck and try to get out of there I feel one bullet pierce my thigh and it went clean through and it kind of hit my left leg a little bit but it didn't go through that um, but it hit my right leg went clean through and I winced I didn't feel any pain the pain came when I was in hospital for the next two weeks I didn't feel any pain in that moment people always ask me what it felt like to get shot it, it felt but it didn't it wasn't painful Like I didn't feel anything, I just felt it. And the reason why I didn't feel it was because right after I winced about, you know, once I felt that bullet pierce me, I passed right out, didn't know why. What woke me up was like five seconds later, me crashing into a fence down the street from where I was just at. And what wakes me up is like the glass around me breaking and everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm jolting up and my face is very wet, but I don't know why. But I can't really see anything too much. I just hear glass breaking and I'm just like groggy for a minute. And then, about I don't know how long, probably a couple seconds later, um, somebody opens my door, my driver's side door, and they say, Police, you know, police, freeze. And me not knowing what the hell just happened, except I just got shot by who knows, Um, I just start saying it because I'm kind of in shock, but I'm also very aware of what just happened. I just start saying, I just got shot. Please, I just, somebody just shot me. I, I just kept saying that over and over. I just got shot. And the cop that opened the door, he says, no shit, Sherlock. And he takes me out the car. And I didn't have time to think about why he would say that. But I just kept saying it. Like, I just I just got shot. Like, somebody really just shot me. He takes me out the uh, driver's seat and puts me on the ground. And kind of reminiscent of George Floyd, not to say it was eight minutes or whatever. It wasn't seven minutes. It was only about 15, 20 seconds while he was handcuffing me. But he put me me on the ground on my stomach while I'm bleeding out my leg and my face. Um, He says, he arrests me, puts handcuffs on me, and he has his knee on my back while he's doing this. And I can feel that. And I don't have time to think about what the hell is going on. Like, why am I being arrested after getting shot? All I know is I just got shot. Um, but he puts me on the ground of the cop car. I can remember being on the ground because, you know, in most cars, there's a little ridge on the floor of the car because that's where the middle of the car is, where the compartment is. So I can feel my midsection on the ridge of the floor of the car. And I can see a little bit. And so I wasn't even in the seat. I was on the floor of the car. They're the ones that took me to the hospital because um, obviously the people that had shot me were the cops that, you know, had just took me out the car and they took me to the hospital. Um, and I passed out shortly after I, I got put in the car and I don't want to say I give them credit for that. Cause obviously they were the ones that gave me the reason to go to the hospital, but if they wanted to kill me, they could have easily let me sit there and bleed out. But you know, they took me to the hospital or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody else did. Maybe backup came and they took me. I don't know. I was out, but I think they took me to the hospital. I'm pretty sure. So what woke me up after I passed out in the floor of the cop car was, you know, I, I'm in the ER and the doctors are like kind of cutting because they don't have time to unbuckle me and zip me down and pull my pants off. They were just cutting my pants off so I could, you know, they could get to the bullet in my leg or get to the injury. And so I jolt up because the feeling of like the wind or the air hitting, you know, my area, it kind of woke me up. I feel like I remember like it was yesterday, like that just jolted me up. And I'm kind of looking around, I can't see too well, but I kind of see a lot of lights and I see people moving back and forth. And I can kind of tell I'm in the ER or the hospital or whatever. And the doctor sees me wake up and, you know, he gets to me. He's like, hey, are you okay? Not literally, obviously I'm not, but he just trying to see where I'm at mentally. And so he asked me, you know, what's my name? And for somebody that had just been shot the way I was, and I'll tell you how in a minute, not just the leg, but he, he asked me, what's my name? I said, Phil Holland. He said, do you know what year it is? And I, I answered the question, like 2014, you know who the president is? I said, Barack Obama. And then he was like, are you okay? And I said, I just, and that's where I went back to the whole shot and I was like, flashback, I was like, I just got shot. Somebody just shot me. And he says, we know, we're gonna, do, we're gonna do our best. We're gonna work on you, you'll be okay. And I was just like, I just got shot. Like, I couldn't believe it. I just... Kept, I remember I kept saying it like I was in shock and it wasn't until he asked me Um, do I, do, do I have anybody that he can call like a family member or somebody close to me? And so my mom had moved to New Jersey a year ago before this happened. And she asked, she wanted me to go with her. Obviously I was her son, but I was, you know, 19 going on 20. I was 19 at the time. So I was just like, I figured it's a good time to just live by myself. She left me her house that we were in and not to get roommates because the rent was a lot. And I only had one job. Um, And that's part of the reason why I got a second job but you know she left me the house and I got some roommates my girlfriend moved in shortly after and so that was the situation when I got shot and so my mom was in New Jersey and when he asked if I had anybody to call obviously my mom who I'm you know that's almost my best friend I thought of her and then I started like panicking that's when the second thought started coming in okay I just got shot now am I about to die because like I don't know what's going on all I know is I can't really see I can feel my leg kind of pulsating a little bit, but I don't know how bad that is. I just started crying and uh, I'm losing a lot of blood. And so me crying and started pan- I started panicking because I felt like I was about to die. So I started crying and like, you know, getting like, you know, panicking. And so that me expending energy, panicking and crying kind of made me pass out right after that. And so I had a number in my head, but I didn't give it because I just started panicking. So I passed out again. And what ended up happening was my girlfriend or one of my girlfriend's friends at the time, girlfriend at the time, who I'm still friends with now, she saw it on the news and I, I, one of her, she was at work and one of her friends said, hey, your boyfriend's on the news. Like He just got shot. Not like that, but, you know, telling her. And I guess, I don't know if she saw it or I don't know exactly what happened, but she called my mom and my mom was asleep. She called my mom and she said, Miss Odette, Phil just got shot. I don't know how she said it, but this is just how I talk. But she said, um, you know, Phil just got shot. And my mom told me that. She told me the story not all the time, but she told me it multiple times. She thought that she was joking for whatever reason. And so she kind of hung up and went back to sleep. And my girlfriend called her back and she was like, Miss Odette, crying this time. She's like, Miss Odette, Phil's in the hospital, He just got shot. He's on the news, et cetera, et cetera. So my mom kind of jolted up when she heard all that. And you know, woke her, woke my stepdad up, her husband, woke him up and said, We you know, to explain to him what was going on. I don't know. I wasn't there obviously, so I don't know how it went. But I say this because the worst part of this entire story for me is, you know, I say this all the time. The worst part is, you know, the fact that my mom had to drive, because when she started driving to go to Philly, she's in New Jersey. So it's about where she was, it was about an hour and 20 minutes, maybe an hour and a half. And hour and a half isn't really a long time, depending on what you're talking about. But in this case, she drove an hour and a half she called the hospital all they were able to tell her was that i've been shot in the leg and in the face and they couldn't tell whether i would survive or not they were working on it they tried to assure her but they couldn't promise and say he's going to be okay like you can't do that and then i died during surgery and then you know my mom's going to be extra pissed because you told me he'd be okay so all they could do is you know say he got shot in the femoral artery and the face we're going to do our do the best we can and so, you know, when you hear that, that somebody's been shot in the face, you think that there's going to be a hole in their face or they're going to have brain damage or they're not going to look the same or whatever. And so my mom had to drive an hour and a half, not knowing, first of all, whether I was alive or dead or not. But even if I am alive, I'm not even going to be the same. Or so she thought, I'm not even going to be the same at all. Like I'm going to have a hole in my, like I just said, hole in my face or what it disfigured or whatever. Not that she cares like that because she's going to love me, but it's just like, you don't want that for your child. And so driving an hour and a half not knowing what the hell I'm, gonna have to, I'm about to walk into, is he gonna be dead when I get there? It's just like, when I think about that, it breaks my heart. And this is before I had a daughter. You don't have to have a kid to imagine how hard that is for a parent, you know, driving that amount of time, wondering what she's about to see or what's gonna happen to her son. But, you know, that's how she got the news and she drove down. And so I woke up in the ICU and my mom was standing over me. This was about a day and a half later. I was out for about a day and a half after they did the surgery. Now the surgery, they fixed my face. I got shot in the face, by the way. Um, I got hit between my uh, eye and nose, and it entered my face, bounced around, and got lodged in my cheek. And it kind of damaged my right eye a little bit, like the bone, the occipital bone, and that's the bone that holds the eye up in place. Uh, That kind of broke, because the bullet shattered it. And so my eye was kind of drooping down, like it sunk a little bit. And I've had surgery to fix it since then, but that's what it was at the time. And so I didn't know I'd been shot in the face until I woke up and my mom told me, but that that was the reason why when I crashed into the fence, I couldn't see anything, my face was wet because I had been shot in the face. And that's the reason why I passed out after I got hit in the leg because I got hit in the face right after. And so I didn't know that because I, it knocked me out immediately. I don't know why it didn't pierce my brain and just kill me, thank God, but. It knocked me out. So I didn't, I wasn't aware that I'd been shot in the face until I woke up. So I wake up in the ICU and I have a tube down my throat and I can't really see because my eye is very swollen, but I can kind of open my right, up, right eye up a little bit and see a little bit. So I can see my mom standing over me, but I can't talk because I have a tube in my throat from, you know, I have to be fed intravenously because I'm, I'm, you know, not in a coma, but I'm out unconscious for a while, for a day and a half. So I couldn't talk, so you know, my mom was telling me th- this is when I found out that it was cops that shot me. I didn't even know that until she told me too. So she kind of caught me up on everything, like cops, it was police, because when she walked into the hospital, the police chief was there and he told her that you know, the cops were responding to shots in the area and that they saw me and that I matched the description of the person they were looking for. Now, the, per- the description of the person was a black man, obviously, who was wearing a hoodie, a black hoodie, and he was six five. Now I was obviously I'm black, to you obviously, um, I am black, and I was wearing a hoodie. I had a button down under it, but it was it got cold, and in Philly it's almost always cold, except in the summertime, like for four months, and then it's cold again. And so I was wearing a hoodie, but I'm five five. I'm not six five. I'm like 5'6", five, five on my best day, even that like is stretching it. I'm five five. Um, so I didn't I. I matched it in terms of like my race and what I was wearing, but I was nowhere near tall enough to be 6'5", or to be even mistaken for 6'5". But the cops, you know, the police chief said, you know, they thought that I was the suspect. Which if I was, that didn't mean I deserved to get mowed down like that. Because for all they know, I could have been somebody walking out their house to go to the store to get some milk or something. Like they do not know who I was. But they approached me the way I did, the way they did. And so when I hear that, I'm just like, I start kind of crying and it's a combination of sadness and anger, like crying because I'm just like, this happened for no reason. Then like, like I just got shot in the face for nothing. And then also I start thinking kind of not irrationally, but I start thinking about how I'm missing work. I'm missing school, like basketball zone. I can't even watch that because I'm a huge NBA fan since years now. So I'm just like, you know, angry. And I was a real asshole, excuse my language. I was a real I was a real pain in the hospital. Like I was very unpleasant because I was not bitter, but like just angry about the whole situation. Um, but you know, my mom caught me up. And so the first two, three days before the tube was taken out, I asked the nurse for a for a for a dry erase board or for something to write on, and he gave me a dry erase board and a marker. And I couldn't really see too well, so I was kind of writing blind, just asking questions on the dartboard, on the on the dry erase board. Like, you know, um, why did they shoot me? That's when I asked, like, you know, where in the face did I get shot? How do I look? Things like that. And then after that, I started asking about the game, like who won the Rockets Blazers game, because the Rockets and the Blazers were playing. I was asking who won the game last night, just stuff like that. And my mom kind of got irritated because I was asking about basketball when she was like, you just got shot in the face, dude, like what are you talking about? But, you know, I mean, so I was in the hospital for one week and then i went to a rehab facility down the street for another week so i was in the hospital or in hospice care for about exactly 14 days and while i was in the hospital the first indication that i got that this was like it was an accident in a way but the first indication that i got that police were not all police but you know that this was one of those cases whereas i was in the hospital and my friends a lot of people came to visit me in the hospital. Friends, family. Some people flew out of out of from out of state to come see me because they heard what happened. And a lot of people told me they saw, they heard about it, in through the news. And they showed me pictures of it. And Meek Mill had put me on his Twitter and everything. So I googled my name to see what was being said or whatever. And I see in the news articles that the cops are saying that I tried to run them over. I had my hoodie up, which I didn't. And I tried to run them over even after they announced themselves which was not true because it was a quiet night I would have heard police the word police I would have heard that because my car wasn't even on yet like I told you I didn't turn the car when the lights were on so if they had you know said police freeze or given shown badges or anything like that I would have froze because I had nothing in my car but some mail and a pizza bag no drugs I wasn't on drugs wasn't drunk or anything like that obviously so no reason to hide from cops even if I did I wouldn't because Not that I knew they'd shoot me, but I just just wouldn't like why run. And so um, I see that they're a hood up and that I've tried to run them over. And I'm just like, are you serious? Like, why would you, why are you, why are they lying like that? And, you know, and also I recovered very quickly because my femoral artery got severed when I got shot in the leg. The femoral artery, for those who don't know, is like the main artery in the leg. And when it gets severed, that's the main vein and it holds a lot of blood. It's the, uh, it runs up and down your leg. It's one big vein. And when that gets severed, you have about, you know, T minus probably 30, 45, I don't know how long exactly to live before you bleed out. It wasn't only that, but it was my face that I was bleeding out of too. So I don't know how I didn't bleed out on the way to the hospital, but I didn't thank God. And so when I got there, before I even woke up, they had to perform surgery on my leg. And that was actually more dire than the face injury, believe it or not because it's a femoral artery. And so what happened was when the bullet entered my leg, it, it made a clean hole, two clean holes, because it went in and out the other side. And I was bleeding out of both legs, but my, I was losing a lot of blood, but there wasn't any place for the blood to go, because it was all coming out the vein of the femoral artery. There wasn't any place for blood to go besides those two holes that the bullet made. And so my leg, they told me, they explained it to me, it was very swollen from all the blood being trapped in my leg. And they were considering amputating it. But they said, you know what, let's try a triple bypass. A triple bypass is where they basically cut open your leg so the blood can be released and then try to sew it back up. I don't know the details of it, but that's what they did. They cut open it And I have pictures on my Instagram of it. They, they cut open both sides of my leg and one big, you know, incision on my thigh to let all the blood out. And if that didn't work for whatever reason, they would have had to amputate it because my leg was almost like, you know, swollen to the point where it couldn't be saved. But that worked luckily. And then they worked on my face. And they had to reconstruct my nose because from what they described, the way I, what I woke up to, which wasn't that horrible, even though I felt it was horrible because I was used to my face. But what I woke up to wasn't what they saw when I came in to the ER. Like my face, they, they said my face was flat. Obviously, blood everywhere, but my face was flat and my eye was even more collapsed, like it was looking down, as opposed to my other eye, which was normal, but my my right eye was looking down, or yeah, my right eye was looking down. So they had to reconstruct everything. And I don't know how they did that, but and, you know shout out to the University of the Hospital of 10 because they really, you know, did their jobs. And if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't look anywhere near what I looked like before, but, so, you know, I found all that out while I'm, you know, got the tube in my mouth and all that. So I got the tube taken out. I recovered quicker than they thought, considering my injuries that I just told you about. And it got to the point where my lawyer told me that I I can't walk in front of the doctors. Like, I started walking by myself. When everybody would leave, I would try to walk. he told me that, you know, I might not be able to see. I might not, be, might not be able to walk. And so when they left, I was like, all right, let's see. So Obviously, it was probably not a good choice to do that because I could have fell and hurt myself even worse but I didn't luckily and I was able to, you know, practice walking myself. And when I showed my mom and my lawyer and my mom's boss who came down and helped us out, you know, they all said, you know what, we can't show the doctors this because they're gonna think that you're not that injured, which I was, they saw themselves, but they just thought that it could be used against me in, in court that, you know, I wasn't that hurt. So I don't really deserve that much money or that much sympathy or whatever the case. So when the doctors came in to help me walk again, you know, I didn't act like I couldn't walk, but I kind of had to like, you know, kind of limp a little bit to kind of sell it. Like I was still hurt. And not, I was limping, but you know, I had to kind of learn to walk again in front of them. Like pretend I didn't, I wasn't already walking a little bit. Um, but like I said, I was in the hospital for two weeks and, um, I was kind of good to go by the first week. Cause I was just ready to go back to my life. Even though I wasn't going to anytime soon. And, um, I mean that that's that's mainly it, um, and and another part of it is you know a year after that I had my first seizure because when the bullet hit my the front of my brain it it cracked my skull the front of my skull, and some bullet fragments were left in the front of my brain, and so because of those fragments they've triggered seizures. I've had five since twenty since twenty fifteen a year after it happened. Um, and one of them was due to a surgery that I was getting. So it was kind of the anesthesia that brought on the, uh, the, the seizure. But um, the other four happened randomly. I had no idea what was going on, no idea what brought it on. I was just sitting there. One, the first one, I was at my mom's. I was just sitting there. They were watching Real Housewives or whatever. I was just sitting on my phone. And next thing, I woke up in the ambulance. And they told me I had a seizure. I'm just like, seizure. Second one, I was driving my, my girlfriend somewhere. I was coming off the highway. Luckily, I wasn't on the highway anymore. Coming off the highway, boom, woke up in an ambulance. And my girlfriend tells me, or they tell me, and then my girlfriend tells me later on, that I had a seizure when I was pulling into the gas station, which I don't even remember going into the gas station, but I had a seizure going into the gas station. And like she saw me kind of like just shake and just fall over. And third one was the day before election day when Trump got elected, so I didn't get to vote. Um, and the last one, luckily the last one was April, 2018. So it's been, they were happening about every six, seven, eight months. And it'll be three years in April that one has happened. So, and, cause every time I had one, the first one, obviously they put me on medicine, but every time it happened, they upped the dosage to try to protect myself even further. And so hopefully I'm on the right dosage now, but you know, uh, like when my daughter was born, I was scared to hold her cause she was born January, 2018. And the last one was April so even before it happened again i was scared to hold her because i'm just like what if i have a seizure while i'm holding her luckily that never happened but when my last seizure happened i was at the top of the steps in my house here i could show you but you know people can't see it but right where i'm sitting my my uh daughter's mother and my daughter were sitting there you know watching tv or whatever just sitting i was going downstairs to my car to the garage sitting at the top of the steps just got finished eating popeyes and i'm at the top of the steps talking to her and next thing I know, I'm in the ambulance once again, and they tell me, by this time, I'm like, did I have a seizure? <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, not laughing, but they're like, yeah, you had a seizure. How did you know? And I'm like, it's not the first time. And this time I fell down the steps, so I had a little cut on my cheek, but once again, God, God willing, it wasn't as worse as it could have been. It could have broke my neck or something like that. But, you know, um, uh, like I said, it's been like three years, and almost three years since that happened. And so that was a side effect of the accident. And the reason I am not in Philadelphia anymore was because when the case ended that my lawyer told me that I should, you know, get out of Dodge because, you know, if you see somebody in the news and you see that they want a lot of money, they're probably gonna get bad ideas. Even not even people I know, even people I don't know that recognize me from the news might be like, you know, stick me up or whatever. So just for precautionary measures just to get out of there and move somewhere. So my mom had moved to Atlanta a month before, um, a month before the case ended. So I just had to go there. I was going to go to either LA, Texas or Seattle, those are my little three spots I was looking at. But I decided Atlanta because, you know, Atlanta's cool, you know, it's kind of a, call it the Hollywood of the South. So I figured, you know, why not? And so that's how I ended up here. But when the case ended, my lawyer came to me and said that they wanted to settle. They didn't want to go to court, obviously, because I had nothing, nothing on my record, didn't have any drugs because the hospital tested me while I was after they you know performed. Didn't have any alcohol or or you know marijuana or anything like that in my system. Nothing, nothing in my car and no weapons. So they literally had nothing to try to make me look bad, which is what they would have done, which is what we've seen them do to other people that have been in my situation that have died. Didn't have anything. So obviously they didn't want to go to trial and make it public, which I don't regret not making it public or going to trial with it, but. I feel like sometimes I should have to bring in some awareness but I didn't but one thing I did say was okay if they want to settle then I want to talk to them face to face I want to like sit them in the room just us three because it was two of them just us three and find out why they did what they did just kind of as a closure but also to look them in the eyes, because by this time this is two years later after I got shot that the case ended so by this time I've seen you know 15, 20 people get shot the same way I did, but die. So now I'm just like, all right, I don't see this as two cops had, you know, mistook me for somebody else and just did a, made a mistake. This was racial profiling and a case of police brutality and possibly racism. I don't know, I can't speak on that because I don't know them, but that's why I wanted to talk to them, look them in the eye and ask them like, what's up? Like, why did you do that? What were you thinking? And uh, my lawyer told me that it wasn't a good idea Mainly because during my deposition, I don't know if you know what the deposition is, but that's when you go to you know, record your statement and tell what happened your side of the story. In any case, that's what you do. And my lawyer told me that during my deposition, my, lawyer, my the, the cops that shot me were actually there at the deposition, which they, I don't know why. Well, I know why. They weren't supposed to be there, considering the, the gravity of the situation, but they decided to be there. Um, my lawyer thinks it was for intimidation. And I believe that, but I told them the first time, they, the first day of the deposition, um, the cops were there. I walked in the lobby. I didn't know it was them. It was just two people that I'd never seen before. And my lawyer walked in shortly after me, about five minutes after, and she asked me if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, why? And she said, I just wanted to make sure because they're here. i like, who's here? And I was like, the cops. And I look over, I'm like, the cops that did it? She's like, yeah, that's them. And I look over at them and I stare at them, just stare at their faces. And they're going upstairs to my floor to where I'm about to get my deposition. And I stare at them, both of them. And one of them stared back at me and kind of like a movie almost, like the elevator doors are closing. He's staring at me and he stares right back at me. I'll never forget that. He stared right back at me, like almost like he had beef with me, like he was angry with me, like I shot him or something. Stare right back at me as the elevator was closed. And I was that just made me so angry. I was like, all right, let's go do it. Let's go do the deposition. i I told my lawyer, because she went to reschedule, which we did. Um, she wanted to reschedule. I was like, no, let's not. Let's, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna sit there and look re- look them right in the eye while I tell the entire story, since that's what they wanna do, intimidate me. I'm not one to be easily shaken like that. Um, but my lawyer said, No, we're reschedule because you're not supposed to be here. We rescheduled, but they were there at the second one because there was no legal precedent for them not to be there. They were technically n- not, not allowed to not be there, to be there, or whatever you, however you want to say it. So they were in the room when I gave my deposition, but my lawyer said, don't look at them. Don't pretend they're not there. So that's what I did. Even though I didn't want to do that, I wanted to look at them and like really have them see me, you know, but lawyer said, that's not a good idea. Don't give them any reason to, any reason to say anything. And so I say all that because, like I said, the case was ending. My lawyer came to me. She said they want to they want to just end it and pay you or whatever. I said, sure, but I want to talk to them face to face. And my lawyer said, that's not a good idea because during your deposition, where they were at, while you were telling your story, at one point, I looked at them and they were in the corner kind of snickering and drawing and doodling and like kind of playing around while I was telling the story of how they shot me in the face and like. And so that that was the second indication. I told you the first one was me looking looking their looking the articles up and seeing them lie about what happened. Now I see that they're laughing or they think it's funny or whatever it was that they were laughing about. Like if I had shot somebody and I'm at the deposition, I'm not going to sit there and laugh. I'm going to sit there and listen about what I did. And then apologize at some point, which I never got an apology from them. I never got anything from them. Um, but when I heard that, I got even more angry. But my lawyer i don't know why that's one thing i do regret not pushing for that meeting because i just wanted to be wanted it to be over um but lori convinced me not to do that and maybe it was a good idea maybe it wouldn't have been good for me to do that but who knows uh, but i still regret not not meeting them personally
1: Be sure to check out part 2, where Phil talks about his life following this traumatic event.